Well, hello, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. This week, we're doing an archive show. This uh, show that we're about to play was a Boomer Boulevard show, or is a Boomer Boulevard show, that was first broadcast back on the 25th of March in 2019. Hope you enjoy it. It's half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon. I better get it out of the safe now. Chester, are you ready to take cover? Yeah, well, if it starts, if it gets any close, it, it, I guess I should introduce the show. Hi, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to Boomer Boulevard. This is the uh, podcast where we play old-time radio shows. We actually remember from when we were kids because we're baby boomers, but everybody's welcome and everybody loves these old shows. So, you know, make yourselves at home, but not maybe right here because we are under a tornado watch. <laughs> And I'm not so worried about that, but we are getting some very loud kabooms outside in the form of thunder, and sometimes those interfere with uh, with our recording. So, but Chester does not like tornadoes, do you, Chester? Yeah, I know. I well, nobody likes tornadoes, obviously. But you're afraid anytime there's there's tornado watches. Yeah. Well, yeah. When the sirens go off, I tend to be a little a little, you know sketchy myself but until then uh, you kind of get used to them in the Midwest and from where you're you're from originally to Chester you get a lot more even than, than we do here in Missouri but we're also expecting some flooding which is going nice all of that stuff that was in Nebraska up above uh, in Iowa and whatnot oh that's all coming our way we're pretty near the confluence of the two uh, two Mississippi and Missouri rivers I'm probably nearer to the Mississippi here. We're probably only a mile or so from the Mississippi, two or three miles from the uh, Missouri, but we're not very far from where the two join together. And there's water coming downstream, I think, from both of them. So we'll probably see some flooding here in St. Louis. But we're warm and safe tonight, and we've got a great lineup for you, and we're glad you've joined us. We have all new shows tonight. These are all shows that we, uh, episodes we've never played before. Two of the shows we've played before, we have A Life of Riley. We've played just a couple of those in the past. And of course, we have Gunsmoke like we have every week. But it's an episode we've never played before. And then we're also going to have an episode of The Whistler. Well, we've done those before, too. The new show is The Lives of Harry Lyme, starring Orson Welles. And I'll tell you a little bit about that when we're ready to get to that one. But in the meantime, uh, make yourselves at home, uh, pull, 
grab up a, a real comfortable chair because you're going to be here for two hours. But it's going to go bang just like that. And I, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, boy, Bob, I can't believe that you can keep coming up with these outstanding radio shows. And we're just so glad that you can do it. Well, thank you. Thank you. But uh, it's my pleasure. And so get comfortable because we are going to get started with a great lineup in just a minute. start off tonight with an episode of The Whistler that was first broadcast on the 2nd of February back in 1946 and it's entitled Panic and this one will have you on the edge of your seat. The Whistler was just such a great show. It always featured oh stories that were sort of haunting. Stories about uh, crime, deception, uh, manipulating other people, all of this would build to a, a kind of a shocking finale. And through it all, we would hear as the narrator, the mocking laughter of the whistler. But here we go from 1946, February the 4th. This is The Whistler, and the name of this story is Panic. I know many strange tales hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. Yes, I know the nameless terrors of which they dare not speak. And now the Whistler's strange story. Panic. Leora had been on his mind all morning. He tried not to think of her, tried to throw himself into the office routine, dragged out all the things he'd set aside during the past month, told his secretary they were going to work late. Then, by one in the afternoon, he found himself slipping, letting his mind relax and settle on Leora again. And at three, he discovered he was dictating nonsense to his secretary. At that point... He stopped suddenly and deliberately thought of Leora, of her leaving tonight, walking out of his life forever. 
An hour later, he was hurrying out of the passport office on his way to the steamship agency. Yes, sir? Uh, I believe a Mr. and Mrs. Charles Moffat are listed on tonight's sailing. Would you check it for me, please? Of course, sir. Hmm. Midnight sailing, Baratania. Yes, here we are. Mr. and Mrs. Charles Moffat, A-deck cabin 12. Uh, is there any space left on that ship? Well, as a matter of fact, sir, I have a cancellation right here. I'll take it. The name's Kent Buckley. That's the way it is, isn't it, Kent? You agree to be sensible, to remember that she's married to respectable, wealthy Charles Moffat, surrounded by signs that say, keep off the grass, in big red letters. But it's always been hard for you to be reasonable where Leora's concerned, hasn't it? Yes, Kent. And it's certainly not reasonable for you to be taking the elevator to the 10th floor of the Park Lane Apartments that night at 9 o'clock, just three hours before sailing time, and walking down the corridor to Leora's door. Kent. Leora, darling, I had to come. Charles is back in the study. You've got to go. I don't give a hang where Charles is. I just as soon have it out with him right now. I couldn't get you out of my mind. But we agreed to forget it. Did you? No. Neither did I. There's no sense to this, Kent. We're leaving in an hour. That's why I came, Leora. I'm going, too. What are you talking about? I got passage this afternoon. I'm not going to let him take you away. Oh, Kent. Kent, darling. Leora. Charles. Hello, Buckley. Go on upstairs, Leora. Charles, please. Get out of here, you two-timing little brat. Wait a minute, Moffat. Did you hear what I said, Leora? Get away from her. You'll find yourself an answer for this one. Charles! Charles! Stop! Don't hit him again! Please! Oh, all right! All right, Charles! down when it's ready. The expressman's downstairs. Wait a minute. Let me think. I gotta think. Oh, Leora. Leora, please. What have I done? Ken! Ken, what have I done? Come on, you better sit down. Oh, 
No use. Oh, we've got a chance. Who's strong is this? Charles. He's closed. Big enough? Yeah. Sure. He's going in it. Come on. Help me get it open. Expressman again. Tell him to come up in five minutes. Oh. Hello? Trunks will be ready in five minutes. Here. Yes, please come up. Listen, Leora, you've got to get hold of yourself. Oh. This is going to take nerve. Yes, Kent. All right, now listen. I'm going to leave now. I'll meet you on the pier. The trunks will be sent aboard. Yeah. You and I are going up the gangplank as Mr. and Mrs. Charles Moffat. They'll check. Not until later. The cabin check comes after we get to see. Maybe not till tomorrow morning. Can't it it's got to work. You know what happens if it doesn't? Yes, I do. All right, now listen. Your husband's going to commit suicide tonight, right after we sail. He's going over the side. If I'm right about that cabin check, if it doesn't come off till tomorrow morning... But if it does... We'll find a way somehow. i got to go now. Remember... I'll see you on the dock. panic is now, the blind, paralyzing terror that begins somewhere in your stomach and creeps upward towards your brain. You feel it as you stand on the dock, waiting for Leora, watching the stevedores load baggage, trying to recognize the tan, brass-bound trunk that holds the body of Charles Muffet. You've got his overcoat on, dark glasses, his hat and muffler pulled close around your face so your features are hardly visible. You stand out of the crowd, moving toward the gangplank, waiting. Five minutes. Ten. Then... Kent. Holy aura. Get out of sight, quickly. What's the matter? Hurry! There's no one in the freight office. Come on. What's the matter? She's here. I forgot all about her. Who's here? Alice Merton, the friend of Charles. I just saw her that I remembered. Kent, she's going too. She's on the same ship. Good Lord, where is she now? Wait a minute. Let me look. Over there. That woman in blue talking to the purser. Yeah. Oh, Kent, if she ever stays, you work. Wait. She's turning away. Going back to the waiting room. Looking for us, probably. If we can get to the cabin we're in, you can tell her I'm sick. Can't see anyone. Well, as soon as I can get away, I'll leave the ship by the visitor's gangplank and come back on board under my own name. Understand? I think so. All right. Let's go. Remember what I told you. I'll do the talking. Just keep calm. Tickets, please. Here you are. Mr. and Mrs. Charles Moffat. Hey, Dick, cabin 12, right? Here you are. Come on. Oh, thank goodness. Oh, uh, Mr. Moffat. Yes? Uh, I'm awfully sorry, sir. I have a note here about cabin 12. 
Apparently, the agent made an error. It's been sold to two parties. What do you mean? Well, uh, would cabin 60 be all right? It's on the same deck and it's double. <laughs> yes, that'll be all right. Thanks. Thank you, sir. This way, Mr. Moffat. Right down at the end of the deck. Your hand baggage is down there now. All right, Leora. What about the purser? I don't know. It was dark. He couldn't have seen my face. Oh, here we are. Cabin 60. Oh, darn it. The key's stuck again. I'm going to have to have it fixed. I keep telling myself. Can't. Shh. Can't look. Leora. Charles, darling. Mrs. Burton. Can't you hurry? This doggone key. Now, let me try. It's stuck. Charles, I've been looking all over for you. Hey, look out. Let me have that key here. Wait a minute, Charles. <laughs> right there. Get rid of her quick. Leora, darling, where have you been? Hello, Ella. Uh, about your trunks, Mrs. Moffat. They're on their way to the baggage room, but I can have Excuse them. me, Leora. I simply must see Charles. Uh, wait a minute. Ella, Charles is quite ill. He's ill? I've got to get below, Mrs. Moffat, if you'll just tell me I'll about I'll talk to you trunk. later. Well, I'm sure Charles won't mind it. Please, Ella, please. I said Charles is ill. He doesn't want to see anyone now. You understand? Why, of course. If he feels that way. Okay, I'll send the trunks to the back. I'm sorry, Alice. He's been very low lately. I, I'm sure he'll feel better tomorrow. Why, of course. Good night, Leora. Well, that was a close one. Oh, I've got to sit down. What about the baggage? I don't know. I couldn't hear what he was saying. Something about the baggage. We'll have to get it later. I hope they don't make the cabin check tonight. Oh. All ashore, let's go to shore. Oh, I gotta get off. The overcoat. Oh, yeah. There. Right, now listen. Forget about the body. We'll get rid of it later. Wait until about three in the morning. Three in the morning. Check yes. the deck carefully. Yes. Then run out and scream that Charles has jumped overboard. Shoot the works, collapse everything. Oh, Scatter yes. his personal stuff around the room so it'll look like he's been here. Okay. Okay. Yes, Kent. Panic is a terrible thing, isn't it? And it's eating away at you as you leave the ship with the bon voyageurs. As you return and present your own ticket. Then, an hour later, after the ship is pulled out, you discover to your horror that they're making the cabin check. Who is it? Kent, open up, quick. They're making the cabin check right now. Be here in 20 minutes. We gotta do it now. That man outside. What, what man? He's hung around here ever since you left. Out there by the rail. Okay. Yes. There, he's back again. I'll have to get rid of him. You know what to do? I think so. Good luck, darling. I'll wait till he's looking the other way. Nice night. Oh. Oh, you, you startled me. I, I didn't see you. Sorry. Cigarette? No, thanks. I got a cigar here. Uh, Buckley is my name. Grayson. Glad to know you, Buckley. Uh-huh. First trip? Well, matter of fact, it is. Well, have a drink on it at the bar down on the next deck. <laughs> no, thanks. I don't drink. Oh. Been over the ship? Yeah, nice tub at that. Well, I was just about to take a walk around the deck. How about joining me? Oh, you better stick around. Purser's collecting the tickets. Maybe afterwards, huh? Yeah, all right. Mm -hmm. Oh, there they are now. 
Yeah, yeah, there, there. I would. Well, what's wrong? My heart. Huh? Doctor. Hey, good Lord, Purser, Purser. This man's had a heart attack. That was the only way out, wasn't it, Kent? Grayson and the purser carry you down to the ship's hospital, and the doctor examines your heart, then leaves you to rest on the couch. You can almost see the purser now, moving closer and closer to Leora in cabin 60. There's nothing you can do except wait, and your mind takes up the rhythm of the clock. He's at cabin 20 now, 22, 20. 24, 26, 28, 30, 32. You race up on deck. The ship is turning around. Searchlights are playing in long arcs across the water. The passengers, officers, members of the crew stand at the railings, trying to see through the blackness. And Leora's on deck outside the cabin, following instructions. Now, Mrs. Moffat. I don't know. I don't know why he did it. He just got up all of a sudden and said he was going for a walk. I looked out the window just in time to see him climb over the railing. I see. That's rather odd, isn't it? Leora. Leora, darling. Oh, Alan. Alistair, I'm so glad you're here. There was something wrong, wasn't there? That's why he acted so strangely a while ago. Uh, Pardon me. What's your name, please? Alice Merton. I'm a friend of Mr. Moffat's. You say he was acting strangely? Yes, he was ill. Yes, yes, that's it. He wasn't himself all afternoon. He he said he was ill. That's hardly a reason for suicide. Uh, I beg your pardon. Yes? Mr. Moffat had every reason for suicide. My name's Grayson. I'm one of his creditors. I see. I took passage on this ship because I suspected he was leaving the country to escape his financial obligations. Oh. Well, I didn't know. Oh, well, I'm, I'm sorry, Mrs. Moffat. I'd better take you down to the dispensary, Mrs. Moffat. The doctor will give you a sedative. Oh, this is There, so there, now, now. Oh. Everything is going to be all right. Well, that's one important hurdle, isn't it, Kent? But the rest is going to be more difficult. There must be no way for anyone to connect you and Leora to link up your convenient heart attack with Charles Moffat's suicide. You have to take advantage of every moment the two of you are alone together. For example, as you are resting side by side on the beds in the ship's hospital, the doctor goes out for a moment. Did I sound convincing? Wonderful. Grayson was a blessing in disguise. We can take our time now. Yeah, three more nights. Get into Southampton in the morning of the 16th. If that trunk ever gets into customs... Don't even think about it. We've got to be careful. I'm worried about Grayson. I know. Look, I'll be in the lounge tomorrow morning after breakfast reading a magazine. You can come... Shh! Here you are, Mrs. Moffat. Take two tablets tonight and a glass of water. Make you sleep. Thank you, Doctor. Mr. Buckley, I'm... uh... Awfully puzzled about your heart. Well, it's only happened once or twice. Seems perfectly normal. Strange, isn't it? You see her again the next morning as you sit in the ship's lounge, reading a magazine, 
back to back with Leora and Alice Merton on the sofa oh, behind you. I understand, you. dear. I know it's hard. After all, I thought as much of Charles as you did, but it's not going to help any to sit alone in your room and brood over it. I know it, Alice. I'm going to see the deck steward. Perhaps we can arrange a game of shuffleboard. I'll be right back. Kent. Grayson's been talking to the doctor. Your heart? Yeah, he's beginning to wonder, too. Check the baggage clerk. I'll send the trunk up any time I want it. Good. When? Not till we're ready. You'll have to help me. I can't lift him alone. I know it. Leora, dear, it's all arranged. The steward has it all ready for us. But Alice, I... Oh, no, no, not another word. That nice Mrs. Broderick's going to join us, and... uh, Oh, let's see. We need one more. How about this young man? Uh, I beg your pardon. Oh. How do you do? I'm Mrs. Merton. How do you do? Kent Buckley. I'd like you to meet uh, Mrs. Moffat, Mr. Buckley. Oh, how do you do? Hello. Would you like to join us in a game of shuffleboard, Mr. Buckley? Uh, I'm sorry. Not quite up to it today. Uh, Perhaps tomorrow. All right, tomorrow. It's a date. Good shot, Leora. Your turn, Mr. Buckley. All right, here goes. The deck watches last night. Yes. And women... Uh, here comes another one, Mrs. Merton. All right. Oh, not bad. Ten points. Ah, just getting warmed up. We'll do it during the captain's dinner. That's on the last night. Why are we doing it? What are you waiting for? Hurry up. Oh, oh, just a second. It's our best chance. Everyone will be there. Nobody on deck. All right, here's the last one. How's that? Oh, you're too good for me. Another ten. Ah, where'll I get going? Kent, I don't see why. I skip it for now. Look, leave your green purse in the dining room today at lunch. I'll pick it up. My goodness, you two seem to be old hands at this game. Oh, we've just had a run of luck. Kent's never played... Oh, it's Kent, is it? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Mr. Buckley. Oh. oh. Well, you're up, Mrs. Merton. this your purse, Mrs. Moffat? Well, yes, yes, it is. A gentleman found it in the dining room. Oh, thank you very much. Oh, here you are. Oh, thank you. Everyone will show a captain's dinner except deck watches. Get trunk to cabin by 6. Dinner starts 6.30. Watch me and leave when I do. Meet at cabin. The waiting is the worst part of it, isn't it, Kent? Sitting, wondering what she's thinking. Wondering if she'll be successful in getting the trunk to the stateroom. A whole day of waiting. Then a night and another day. You're 24 hours out of Southampton and the customs. But you were right. Your best chance is during the captain's dinner, attended by all the passengers and officers. No one to worry about except the deck watchers. And you've been careful to note the exact time... The watch on the after deck goes down to the galley for coffee. You're at the table in the dining salon at 6.30, seated next to your friend, Mr. Grayson, uh, the man who represents the creditor. I uh, saw you out playing shuffleboard yesterday, Buckley. Yeah. Enjoy it? Yeah, great game. A little strenuous. <laughs> you don't mean that. I mean uh, for a man with a weak heart. Oh, yeah. You know, if it hadn't been for that, I might have been able to stop Moffat before he went over the side. 
Matter of fact, I'd intended to go into his cabin and talk things over with him. That's how I happened to be standing out there on the deck. Well, and then you had to go and pull a heart attack at exactly the right moment. <laughs> <laughs> Always pick the worst time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Almost peculiar the way it happened. Uh, you got a cigarette? Uh, how about a cigar? No, thanks, no. I'd better get some cigarettes. I'll be right back. That's right, Kent. Make sure Leora sees you leave, then head for the cabin. Once the body is gone, Grayson and the whole lot of them can be as suspicious as they choose. The decks are deserted. Everything is right, isn't it, Kent? Exactly right. Is the trunk in the room? I had an awful time. He didn't want to send us out. Never mind that. Is it there now? Yes, it's there. All right. We can't be gone too long. Let's get going. Hurry. Don't touch the lights. Where is it? It's right over. It's gone. Well, Kent, the panic is back again, isn't it? The blind black panic you felt when you looked down at Charles dead at your feet back in the apartment. The trunk with Charles's body is gone. Everything. All the planning, the careful meetings, the dodging and lying was useless. The trunk is gone. You forget about caution now as you and Leora hurry down to the baggage room on sea deck and call the clerk to the window. Clerk! Clerk! Yes, yes sir? What happened to the trunk Mrs. Moffat had set up to her room this evening? Oh, I'm awfully sorry, sir. Where is it? Well, it seems... But come on, where is it? Perhaps the purser can explain. Excuse me, Mackay. Where is it, purser? It was in my cabin at six o'clock. It was an error on my part, Mrs. Moffat. I neglected to inform the clerk. Inform him of what? Of the fact that due to Mr. Moffat's death, we have to impound all his personal effects as a matter of form. What? I'm sorry, Mrs. Moffat. It's simply routine. What do you mean? We'll have to hold the trunk here till we arrive. But it will be available to you after its contents are examined and itemized by the authorities. Oh. So, you see, really there's no reason at all to become alarmed, is there? Monday at 9 o'clock, The Whistler will bring you another strange tale. The Whistler is broadcast for your entertainment by the marketers of signal gasoline and motor oil and fine quality automotive accessories and by your neighborhood signal dealer. This program produced by George W. Allen with tonight's story by Harold Swanton, music by Wilbur Hatch, is transmitted to our troops overseas by the Armed Forces Radio Service. is first heard back on the 4th of February in 1946. That was The Whistler, and the name of that one was Panic. Didn't I tell you? That one have you on the edge of your seat. Boy, twist of fate.
twist of fate. Okay, what we have coming up now is a real treat. It's the first time we've played this show, and we're going to play a number of episodes in the future weeks because this is a show I dearly love. But the name of this show is The Lives of Harry Lyme, and it features Orson Welles in the title character. Who is Harry Lyme? He's a rogue and a scoundrel, and he's an opportunist. He's really an amoral character whose main interest in life is making money and living well, no matter what underhanded activity is required to attain his goal. But for all of this, Harry Lyme is a fascinating character that listeners have always found undeniably attractive. And you're in for a treat. And as you're listening to this, I know what you're going to be thinking. But remember that this show came out about 20 years before the movie The Sting. Here comes Orson Welles as Harry Lyme in Horseplay. Presenting Orson Welles as the third man. The Lives of Harry Lyme. The fabulous stories of the immortal character originally created in the motion picture The Third Man. With zither music by Anton Karras. If I were an honest man, which would be silly on the face of it, this would be my sermon. Any character who gets swindled is asking for it. You can't swindle a man unless he's so full of larceny that his very breathing is crooked. This, to a man of my talents, would be disconcerting if I didn't know that nine people out of ten are full of larceny, like a certain American named Harris, who not so long ago came to Paris for a holiday. Strictly in Mr. Harris's honor, I concocted a juicy little swindle called horseplay. My game of horseplay began in the bar of the Creon. To start it, I had to call on a French pal of mine, André Janin. Say it to me again, Harry. The big man over there sitting at the corner table. See him? Yes, but... Look, look, André, all I want you to do is to get into conversation with him. Easy enough? Why not? Then, when you're talking, you find this billfold under the table. Under the table? Where you will have dropped it first. Aha! Yes, yes. And in the billfold, there are papers which will identify it as yours. You return it to me, simple. Be sure to bring this man with me when I return. Let him return it. I'll be in a room here at the hotel. And all these hocus-pocus are to accomplish what? All these hocus-pocus, my friend, will result in Mr. Harris, that big man at the corner table, giving me thousands and thousands of American dollars, as you will see. Andre Janine did his job smoothly. He was sitting down and talking to Harris in a matter of minutes, as though they were old friends. From not too near, I watched discreetly. They were just getting up to go, when suddenly... Oops. Oh, I'm sorry, Monsieur Janine. What? Uh, your foot, I must have kicked him. Excuse me. My foot? But you did not. Let's see what... Oh. 
It's a billfold. You must have dropped it. Billfold? Dropped it? Oh, not me. I've got mine all right. Well, let's see here. Well, whosoever it is, it sure one fat wallet. Well, look here at this. Oh, nothing to be leaving around in hotel bars. Seven, eight, ten, fifteen, ten mil franc notes. Must be 400 American dollars anyway. Membership card here to some club. Club de Teuf. Uh, what's that? Sounds like some sort of club where one may place bets on horse races. A turf club. Is it English? Oh, sure. A turf club, eh? Ah, uh, fellow's name is Harry Lime. Here, look at this. Looks like some sort of code cipher. And two race tickets. Uh, and look, look at this newspaper clipping here. From an American newspaper? I guess so. Mysterious racetrack plunger Harry Lyon winning at Belmont this season. Estimated at more than one million dollars. Fella, tell us all right, doesn't he? We'd better ask at the desk or see if there is anybody here in the hotel whose name is, uh, what is it again? Uh, Harry Lyon. Come on, let's ask What do you want? Are you Mr. Harry Lyme? You're a newspaper man. If you are, I don't want to see you. No interviews. Simply will not be bothered by a lot of... One moment, sir, please. We simply called by to ask if you had lost anything. Lost anything? Certainly not. Good day, gentlemen. You sure you have your wallet? Your uh, billfold? Oh, good Lord. It's... Where? Now, just a second. I uh... think we have found it, Mr. Oh, come in. Come in, gentlemen. I'm sure you know how sorry I am. Uh... If I seem to be rude, it's just that these reporters, even here in Paris, you know, all man in I my position. I suppose you can uh, identify the bill. Oh, I certainly can. Now, let's see. Some cash, maybe four or five hundred in French-American money, a membership card and club de turf, a code cipher I use in my business, and, uh, oh, I see a couple of cablegrams. Uh, it's yours, all right. Well, can't tell you how grateful I am, sir. You would have put me in a... Here, why don't you take this cash and have yourselves a good time? Oh, nonsense. Don't be no, foolish. Please. Oh, please me very much if you take it. Seriously, these papers here, they're... They're what's of value, although only to me. You're sure I can't repay you by... No, no, mille merci. Well, then, at the very least, you must both be my guests for an evening while you're in Paris. Drinks, dinner, make the rounds of the hottest spots, maybe some girlfriends, huh? Oh, no, no. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, let me place a bet for you just to cover your hotel bill while you're in town. A bet? I'm afraid I do not exactly see what you are... Uh, he means on the horse races, <laughs> don't you? Well, uh, you mean you have some, uh, let me see, some odd tips. Well, in a way, yes, tips. <laughs> you see... I represent a large syndicate which, uh, shall we say, is beginning to regulate the winning of races at French tracks. I'm merely the agent placing the syndicate money to the uh, considerable disadvantage of French bookmakers and gambling clubs until they fall into line. Actually, this is all confidential. Oh, but of course. By me. That's why I was so curt with you when you first came to the door, you understand. I thought maybe you might be newspapermen. Occasionally they... Become embarrassingly close to realizing what the syndicate is up to. And naturally, any publicity would. Excuse me. Yes? Cable drama, monsieur. Merci, tiens, garçon. Oh, merci bien, monsieur. So the point is, gentlemen, I'm sent my instructions by coded cablegrams, so you can see what a spot I'd be in without my cipher. So, I'm grateful to you both. I most certainly am. Uh, you mean the bets you place. The races have been fixed in advance. Well, now, fixed is a very unpleasant word, but that's about the size of it. That's why it occurred to me that perhaps I could show my gratitude by placing a small bet for both of you, which with good odds would at least make you some cigarette money while you're here in Paris. Excuse me just a moment, will you? What a thing to happen in on, eh, Jenna? What do you mean? Why, don't you get it? Fixed races. An absolutely sure thing. 
I've heard of things like that, but... Heard of them? We have one right here in our lab. Gentlemen, gentlemen, this cablegram, I have a very good thing. If you'll just excuse me. Oh, but of course, I'm sure. Miss Charis, we did not mean to stay here so long as this. No, 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 please, not at all. I insist you stay here. There are drinks, cigars, seltzer, Perrier, water over there on the table. I'll be back in a matter of, oh, 15, 20 minutes at the most. Well... My hat over there, yes, then. Now, sit right down, make yourselves at home, both of you. I'll be back in a jiffy. Put something on it for us. So, I leave this man, Harris, in my room with Jenny. There he sits, thinking of the possibility that he'll make some money on a sure thing, a fixed horse race, with no risk whatsoever to his own pocketbook. Not bad, huh? What's wrong with that? Probably, like Harris, you'd feel you don't know for sure yet that I'm maybe not some kind of a nut, but at least you'd have to admit I had good whiskey in my room, good cigars, I'd rent a comfortable hotel suite, and in 20 minutes or so I'd be back with a big smile on my face. Still here? Ah, good. We were wondering, Mr. Oh, you know, I was afraid maybe you'd have left before I got back, before <laughs> before I'd even gotten a chance to learn your names. Did you think of that? Oh, stupid. Pardon, monsieur. I am André Janine, Mr. Lang. And you, sir? My name is Jack Harris. Jack Harris. Mighty pleased to have met both of you. Oh. When I think of it, here you are, Jenny. I got odds of four to one, another 80,000 francs for you, Harris. Well, say, what do you know? Hey, goodness, sir. Thank you. It's like it grows on trees. <laughs> yes, sir, just like it grows on trees. 80,000 francs, about $200 for my sucker friend, Harris. And he never lifted a finger. That's living man, way up high on the hog. Just as Harris himself says. Just think, Janet. The only limit is the capital you've got to put down on a race. How about that? How about that, indeed? See what I mean about nine out of ten being larcenous? And, of course, before this afternoon is over, another cablegram has been delivered, another bet placed, just as a convincer. And when I come back into the room... I hope you don't mind. I had them give it to me in big bills so it wouldn't be a nuisance for you to carry around. Oh, a nuisance? Oh, a hundred, two hundred? Well, this will add up to eight hundred American dollars. That's not what I call a, a nuisance. Oh, Now, to be sure, Harris has some 300,000 francs of my money in his pocket, but I don't need to worry too much. He won't run away. He's too anxious to get some more of this money that just grows on trees. Overnight, I leave him in the company of my friend Janine, for I have work to do to prepare the appearance of the Club de Turf. It's all a phony, of course. Staffed by my pals, all set up just to pluck Mr. Harris, just to separate him from some of his nice little old American greenbacks. And sure enough, as expected, next morning, he's back knocking at my hotel room door. Ah, come in, come in, come in. I was hoping you fellas show up. Drinks? I think none for me, thank you. For me, I can use one. Oh, after last night, I was celebrating my winnings in those uh, fixed races. Uh, help yourself, Harris. Yes, sir. I'm glad to see you. I need someone I can trust. And after the way you two returned my wallet yesterday, I know you're both dependable. Well, anything I can do. You can do me a favor. Pick yourself up a little change at the same time. Here's my problem. The manager over at the Crumpty Turf is getting suspicious of me, I'm afraid. He's... Just before telling me I'll have to place my bets somewhere else. <laughs> I should think. After all the money you must have taken away from So, me. now, if you two would take this guest card, it'll get you into the club, okay, and place a bet for me. I've got a horse in the fifth race. Bet him to win. And I'll give you a, I'll give you a blank check. Blank check? Uh, on credit. My, my credit, of course. Besides, you still have the few hundred thousand francs you won yesterday. Yes. Uh, Harris, you got your 300,000? Right here. Okay, here. You give yours to Jan in here. That makes 600,000 for the two of you. Now, are you listening? Yeah, sure, this right. It's very important. Do exactly as I tell you, Johnny. When it comes time to bet, you make out and sign this check for 15 million francs. Don't let these figures unsettle you, Harris. It just sounds like a lot of money. Translated, that means only about 50,000 American dollars. 
Place the check together with your cash on Dancing Cloud in the fourth race at Chantier. The odds should be about four to one. That would net you, let's see. Well, it's more than 200,000 American dollars. What a way to make money. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, uh, by the way, Liam, I don't speak much French. Oh, don't worry about that, Harris. In the club, most of the betters are English or American anyway. All the business transacted in English if you don't speak French. Oh, fine. Come on, let's go, Janet. Now, please. One moment, Monsieur Lyme. Yes? I don't have 15 million francs in cash to make that check good. I don't like the idea of putting my name to a check for 15 million. Oh, now, look, Janet, don't worry about that. This guest card assures you credit. Then when you win, you take up the check. Where's the trouble? Yes, but what if we lose? Oh, don't be a dope, Janet. You can't lose. It's a short thing. <laughs> you catch on quick, Harris. You can't lose. Pleasure swindling him. The smarter, the shrewder, the sucker, the quicker he'll tumble. Now it was up to Janet to steer into the rooms I'd rented and decorated. It looked like a horse race betting room. A few comfortable chairs for the patrons. All my friends, the patrons. A blackboard on which a man chalks down the odds in each of the race at three or four different tracks. A cashier behind his wicked window, laying out huge bundles of francs on pretended bets to the pretended club members. The, the whole thing a fancy front to impress my rich American Harris, whose breath by now is coming faster, whose eyes are shining brighter. He's about to make a huge profit on a sure, crooked wager. Quite a place, eh? Yeah, yeah. The first time I was ever in a place like this. See, the man with the headphones up there at the ball? Uh, oh, yeah. He's talking down the yard, no? The results, too, I guess, are all racing. Yeah, yeah. There's the cashier's window. Yeah. Uh, do you think we should make the bet now? With all the odds, right? Oh, over there, see? Oh, sure. Well, I guess... Uh, yeah, you got that blank check. Right here. Oh, it's not blank anymore. Well, come on. Let's get up that window. Uh, well, the odds on dancing car right. Oh, sure. Sure, sure. Come on, hurry up, Janet. I won't feel right till that bed is down. All right, just so. Yes, sir. I want to place this on Dancing Cloud in the fourth at Chantilly. If you don't mind, sir, I'd like to see your card. Oh, fine, thanks. Dancing Cloud in the fourth at Chantilly. Check for 15 million francs and 600,000 in cash. For one bet, sir. Why, yes, for one bet. Here's your ticket, sir. 15 million 600,000 francs on Dancing Cloud. Thank you. Next, please. Afternoon, Marcel. One million Frank's across the board on Bomashi. Come on, Janet. Let's sit up near that collar. I'm worried. My name on that check. Well, why worry? How can you lose? Besides, everybody I get was betting on Bomashi in this race. Relax, Janet. Relax. Listen, there. Did you hear him? He did not even mention Dancing Cloud. Oh. Well, I guess they don't want to make it look too raw, you know. Why did I put my name on that check? Fifteen million francs? Oh, you'll be all right. Look at the way all these men around us are taking it. Sure, there are many on Beaumarché. See, there. Dancing Cloud. Third. Just how long do these races last, do you know? No, a minute or two, I guess. Oh, oh. Knowing that the race is probably over by now, and we sit here. My name on that check, 15 million. Do you think, uh, uh, some mistake? Why did he do it? A man we never saw before yesterday. But he did win without that money, didn't he? I know that. There'll be some mistake. There's some reason for I bet he's not even there. Listen. Winner in the fourth at Chantilly. 
Dancing clouds. Oh, we did it, boy. We did it. How about that, eh? Oh, yeah. Eight, ten years ago to me. Come on, let's get up to that window. A quarter of a million in American dollars. How about that, eh? I, see, you got that ticket. Don't worry about that ticket, Harry. Oh, man, you know, those jockeys don't really know their stuff to pull a race like that. And nobody suspects a thing. Winning ticket on the fourth race. Yes. Oh, yes, sir. Money, please, Rene. I'll need several thousand meal notes, please. What's more? Just a moment, sir. I'll check this count. Look at all that money. All right, sir. If you'll just count it, please. One moment, please, gentlemen. Yes? I am the manager here, gentlemen. Would you mind telling me how you got here? This is a private club, you know. No, but uh, I have my card right here. Well, you know, huh? Uh, Credentials seem valid, but uh, you have a pretty large waiter here. Uh, Marcel, uh, did you take this gentleman's check? Yes, sir, right here. Uh, well, you have won this bet. The money is yours. Uh, we'll put this check through the bank, and if they approve it, you'll be paid off. We'll impound your money right here. You are stopping in Paris, aren't you? Huh? Just until the bank reports back. But, uh, and by all means, keep <clears throat> your ticket. It's your receipt, gentlemen. A good day. Uh, just a moment, please. Yes? I prefer that you did not bank this check immediately. Huh? What is that? Well, well uh, I'll have the cash deposited in a local bank very soon. Matter of a few days, and you can clear it through. But oh. right now, I'm a little embarrassed for funds in my then own you bank. you should not have written that check. Illegal, monsieur. Ah. Well, all right. I'll hold your check for a short time. Say, uh, a week? A week? Oh, it's irregular. But, uh, all right. You either deposit the 15 million francs in our bank, or bring it here to the club within the week. That will show you could have paid the bet in the event you lost. Good day, gentlemen. Poor Harris. Poor Harris. I wish I could have been there to see him, how his face must have fallen, to see all that money, real money, too, right in front of him, be reaching out to take it. Ah, 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 not yet. So Harris, a very disappointed little sucker indeed, comes back to the hotel with Janine to talk it over with me. Don't you think that my getting us a week's time was pretty smart? Oh, sure, sure it was. But we still have to lay our hands on 15 million francs to make that check good. Yeah, exactly right, Harris. Well, Janine, how much cash can you raise? Cash? Mm, yes, cash. Yeah, let's see. I have about three and a half million francs in government bonds. I can cash those on short notice. Oh, how about you, Harris? Could you raise the other 11 and a half million? That's only about 37,000 American dollars. Well, I've been thinking about it, Lime. Worrying. On the way over you know, most of my money back in the States is tied up in real estate. Mm. As far as I figure it, I can't raise more than 28000 in a hurry. Now, that leaves us stuck for 9000 Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I have a bank account here in Paris. I just hope my principals back in the States never hear about this. But I guess I can take the chance of letting you have the other 9000 until this thing is cleared up. Shouldn't take long. Oh, it would be wonderful if you would. This next day or so is crucial. Until Harris's cash can be cabled from the States, I've got to be sure that he's kept on ice. $28,000, it's worth all the time and effort. Two days, three, and his money arrives. Janine, Harris, and I walk to the club to turf together, Janine carrying the 15 million francs. So we get to the club. I look up from decoding a cablegram which was handed to me as I left the hotel. Hmm, it's Maldemare in the third race at Chantier today, three to one. Maldemare, yeah. yeah. I guess we'd better look up their manager. There he is. Oh, well, monsieur. Huh? One moment, please. Uh, you want him, gentlemen? You remember? Janine and Monsieur Rice here. Oh, I'm afraid I... That bet for 15 million. You held up our check until... Oh, yes, yes, indeed. Just present your ticket to the cashier. I assume you have the money with you? Right here, yes, sir. Fine, fine. Just show the ticket and the money to the cashier. At the bottom of the first of the quarter, <coughs> get up by one. 
prickly heat by half and blue booty. Come on, Jalen, cash that check, the ticket in. I'll just see if the odds are now, Lemaire, three to one. Golly, my share of that dough at three to one? Yes, sir. This ticket, my receipt for uh, the manager told me just to show it to you. Oh, yes, Monsieur Janine, is it not? You have the 15 million in cash? Right here. Yeah, the odds are three to one, all right. Fine. Money, please. Now then, that's 78 million francs, right? <laughs> that's right, I believe. Mm, these packages are 10 million apiece. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That's 70 million. And uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I think that's right. Count it, please. Well, why don't you place it on Maldemere? The second race is up. I think I'll watch the marker. That's a good idea. Put it all on Maldemere to win. First time for the second at Chaudy was 205. Off time was 25 and a half. They're off and running in the second of Chantilly. 78 million on Mal de Mer to win. And here's your ticket, sir. Great heavens, a half million dollars for me. Well, well, gentlemen, a cooling drink while we wait. Did you place the money, Janine? Yes, I did. I hope nothing goes wrong. Here's the ticket line. Good Lord, man. You bet this horse to win? I said place. That horse will run second. At the quarter, Maldemare ahead, dilemma half, and... Uh, I say, manager, oh, uh, can, we, can we exchange this ticket from a win ticket to a place ticket? Oh, no, no, really, no, no, sir. But it's very important, and I beg of you, please... I know, really, it's ridiculous. The race is already But it was a mistake, monsieur. I assure you that it was my intention that the wager should be for place, not win. I am sorry, sir. Nothing can be done after the marker has called the off time for the race. Rules of the house. Oh, you dumb ox, Janine. My $9,000, I ought to thrash you within an inch of... Gentlemen, gentlemen, please, please. me. Take your hand off me, down. Stance, you crook. You throw my money away. He ruined me, too. Let me have it. No, 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 no. Of course, we left my specially rigged club as quickly as we could. Janin was sprawled in a welder of blood, and Harris, you may be sure, was stark, sheer, 100% terrified. But don't you worry. This was all just fun for the kiddies, just horseplay. The bullets I fired were blanks. The blood all over Janine's handsome Gallic profile was chicken blood spurting out of a punctured bladder at the opportune moment. After all, we now had my friend Harris's 28,000 American dollars, didn't we? So our only problem was to terrify him into leaving town without peeping to the police. In my hotel room, I poured him a drink. Here. Here, Harris, oh. old man. You need this. Oh, thanks. I'm afraid I killed him. If you hadn't, I would have... I never should carry a gun. When I lose my temper, old man, I go crazy. We, we've got to think. The worst of it is, I've involved you as an accomplice. Yeah. Good Lord, that's right. The one thing, it was a private oh. club. Now, look, you'd better pack, old man. Got an Italian visa? Uh, no, well, yes, well, go, I... go to Italy. Try and get rid of that suit somewhere. There's blood spattered on it. Throw it Throw it off the train, perhaps, sir. Uh, yes, but uh, where in Italy? Oh, in Italy. Uh, there's my wife, my business. I Can't you lie low for a while, just a week or so, until we find out whether that, that fool Janine dies or not? I'll tell you. Go to the Hotel Splendide in Rome. I'll wire you there. I'll get you out of this. Oh, yes, I'll get you out of this, old man. I feel, after all, that I am partially responsible for all this. Oh, it's awfully good. Nonsense, of you. nonsense, old man. You do the same for me. Now then, into the bathroom. Go on, wash up. Right. There's a train to Rome in 30 minutes. Yes. And you've got to be on it. Oh, I will. He was, too. And I sat back. Quietly savoring a highball, mentally spending my lion's share of his $28,000. My expenses weren't more than 8000 tops. <laughs> what a wonderful horseplay it had been, to be sure. 
This would be Janine with the loot. Yeah? Ah, Janine, my sweet, my lovely, my dove, my pigeon. Where's the dough? I fixed the French cops. They the, raided your club right after you'd left. No, you're kidding. Please, all the cats they can lay their hands on arrested Louis and Bertrand what? and Renee and the whole crowd. Truth be here, which is all I could grab before How much? I How much did you get? Our original stake, Harry, and a, a small profit. How much profit? Two mil franc notes, Harry. One apiece. Two dollars and a half. <laughs> Time returns in just a moment. successful failures I've ever had. And there's a sunny side to it. I'm still at liberty and not in prison. This is a great advantage in my business. I'm not at all depressed, for I know that this is a lovely world full of Jack Harrises, and I assure you I will meet another such very shortly. Until then, if you're going to spend money on horses, be sure they're on the merry-go-round. Or the most you can lose is the brass ring. That was The Lives of Harry Lyme, as first heard in Luxembourg on the 23rd of November, 1951, We Think. What, what, a, what a unique show. Something familiar. Something peculiar. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Ah! Something appealing. Something appalling. Something for everyone, a comedy tonight. Nothing with kings, nothing with crowns. Bring on the lovers, liars, and clowns. Ah! Situation, no complications. Nothing portentous or polite. Ready tomorrow, a comedy tonight. <laughs> Well, on our Comedy Corner tonight, we are going to go back to 1945, which is further back than we normally go. But we're playing a show that everybody, every boomer remembers, and that's The Life of Riley. And on this particular episode, which uh, was broadcast over the Blue Network of NBC, Riley and Peg are celebrating a wedding anniversary. Many 
another husband, Chester A. Riley, war worker, is an affectionate spouse in most ways, but a little weak on remembering dates. For instance, he is devoted to Peg, his wife, but the day, month, and year when they became man and wife occasionally slips his mind. Peg and uh, daughter Babs are discussing just that now. Yes, Babs, for 17 years now we've always gone out on our wedding anniversary. Your father loves to do it up proud, and he's so pleased about himself for remembering the date. Oh, but Mother Daddy always forgets dates. Yes, he'd forget this one, too. But every year I start about a week ahead and drop him hints. Oh, that way he thinks he thought of it himself. Oh, Daddy won't admit he's absent-minded at all. No, and that's why I have to be careful how I remind him about the anniversary. Oh, my, he'd feel terrible if he thought I thought he'd forgotten. Oh, that's <laughs> Here he is. I'm going to do a little hinting now, so don't give me away. Oh, there you are. Oh, yes, dear. Yeah. What do you want in the kitchen? Do you see my slippers anyplace? What? They're under your Mars chair, Daddy. Just where you left them. You shouldn't leave things all over the house, Riley. I never leave nothing, no place that I can't find it. It's people moving my stuff makes all the trouble. <laughs> Where's my paper? In your back pocket, Daddy. Now, who put it there? <laughs> Um, uh, what's the date on the paper, Riley? Huh? Oh, it's tonight's paper. Uh, oh, read me some news, dear. Uh, has anybody been getting married? Well, yeah, look at this long list. Gosh, people getting married these days have never got married before. <laughs> you know, I heard that Alice Sacco got married to Fred Bogle. I was surprised. I never thought she cared for him. Well, she don't, but he's got a telephone. <laughs> Oh, my, I feel so good tonight. It's just as though something nice was going to happen this week. That's a very catchy tune, Dublin. That's the subway song, isn't it? No, no. The trolley song, Daddy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Clunk, clunk, clunk goes a streetcar. Oh, well, maybe I can't carry a tune anymore. All the singing I used to do at parties and weddings. Yeah. Oh, say, speaking of weddings reminds me. Oh, yes, dear? Junior's basketball coach wants him to practice tomorrow. <laughs> For heaven's sake, Riley, how does a wedding remind you of Junior's coach? His name is Rice. I gotta go tell Junior to <laughs> Junior, your coach says you got to practice tomorrow. Oh, okay, Pop. Thanks. Okay. Uh, say, uh, who are you writing to there? Adolph O'Brien asked our class to write his old man. He's in the hospital. Egghead O'Brien is in the hospital? Well, what happened? Well, a lot of people were lined up to buy cigarettes, and Egghead tried to get ahead of everybody, and it started a big fight. Oh. Five guys got hurt. Oh, yeah. Well, it must have been quite a brawl. Reminds me of my wedding. Your wedding, Pop? Yeah, when I married your mother. Oh, what a beautiful wedding. You should have been there, Junior. <laughs> Twenty of my pals had wedding breakfast with us and lunch in a police station. Oh, <laughs> oh say. Oh, what, Pop? I just thought of something. Today is our wedding anniversary. Me and your mom got married 17 years ago today. Yeah? Now, now Junior, don't tell your mother. Don't she know it? <laughs> well, it must have slipped her mind. She's... Pretty absent-minded. 
<laughs> oh, Mom isn't absent-minded. Well, she is so. Why, even this morning, she couldn't remember where I left my blue shirt last Sunday. <laughs> now, this anniversary, I'm, I'm surprising her. I, I won't let her know until tonight when I'm ready to take her out. Oh, will her face be red when she finds out I remember it and she forgot? <laughs> yeah, it'll be a good joke on her. <laughs> I won't tell her a word until she sees me all dolled up in my tuxedo. <laughs> oh, what time are you going out tonight, Pop? How oh, about that? Holy smoke. What's the matter? The watch, the watch. It's a good thing I remembered the watch. What watch? That's the big gold one I always wear on our anniversary. Your mother gave it to me for a wedding present. It was her old man's. If I didn't remember to wear it on our anniversary, she'd feel hurt. Oh, why don't you wear the watch all year? Well, it don't tell time so good. It's more like a calendar than a watch. It tells, <laughs> tells when spring is coming. How come? Well, every spring, that watch is the first thing that turns green. <laughs> come on, I'll show it to you. It's in the family jewel box, in the hall closet, right behind the can of ant paste. <laughs> Gosh, there's a lot of junk in that box. Now, Junior, don't call this junk junk. <laughs> this stuff is all heirlooms. Look, you, you, you see them earrings? I gave them to your mother when she gave me the watch. They belong to my great aunt, Henny. Oh, she was a rich one, huh? Yeah, her husband invented a puncture-proof bustle. When he died, he left a lot of money behind. <laughs> Boy, was my aunt sitting pretty. Now, let's... Let's find a watch in here. Oh, what's that there, Pop? Where? Oh, oh, well, that's Uncle Baxter's elk tooth. Hmm. It's getting a cavity in it. I gotta take it to a dentist. <laughs> but, Junior, where's, where's the... My watch! Junior, my watch ain't here! It ain't? It's gone! Junior, don't you say a word about that watch being gone to your mother. She'd be upset. I, I gotta find out where it is by myself. Are you sure it was in this box? Well, sure, I'm sure. I never forget where I put... Wait. Now I remember. I left the watch in the pocket of my tuxedo. That's funny. My tuxedo ain't in this closet either. Well, think back, Pop. When'd you see it last? Well, the night I took it off on our last anniversary, and I distinctly remember hanging it up right in this closet. Well, you couldn't have hung it in this closet, Pop. Junior, don't contradict me. Right on this hook, I hung it. But that's impossible. This isn't the same house. We moved since last year. Junior, don't change the subject. <laughs> that watch is lost. Your mother will never forgive me. It was her father's. I always said her old man would make trouble between us. <laughs> Pop, if you lost that watch, maybe you better go to Mom and come clean. That's it, the cleaner. I left that tuxedo with Tony Marcellucci, the tailor. I, I told you I never forget anything. I got the mind of an elephant. Oh, there's a tailor shop, Pop. Yeah. You know, Junior, I brought in my tux two weeks ago, and Tony didn't even phone me to say he found a watch in a vest pocket. Maybe he's trying to get away with it. Gee, you really think so? Ah, uh, you never can tell. If he is, I'm going to trap him. How? I'm going to act dumb. <laughs> Don't worry, I can do it. I'm a good actor. <laughs> I'll throw him off guard. Oh, then don't say anything that has to do with watches. Of course not. 
Oh, hello, 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 Mr. Riley. Hello, Tony. What time is it? Time is uh, eight minutes after four. How do you know? Did you just look at a watch? Now, who needs a watch? <laughs> well, then how do you know it's eight minutes after four? Because huh? just now my bambinos are running from a school and he's a yellow papa, give me a nickel. That's to mean he's eight minutes after four. <laughs> you always tell time that way? Oh, sure, sure. For instance, in the morning, my wife, she's a check me and say, Tony, get up. That means he's a six o'clock. Then when she's a check me and say, Tony, you lazy good for nothing, get up. That means he's a seven o'clock. <laughs> Then when she's a shake me and say, Tony, you sleepy good for nothing a bump. Get up or I throw you on a bed. That means he's eight o'clock. Time to get up. <laughs> so who needs a watch, huh? <laughs> Tony, come clean. Where's my watch? What watch? The one you found in my pocket. What pocket? The one in the tuxedo I brought in to be clean two weeks ago. You don't bring in no tuxedo. You bring in the blue sergeant's tooth. Look, there he's a hanger. And do me a favor, take him away. The shinies are hurt to my eyes. <laughs> I brought in a blue suit, not the tuxedo. Sure. You say you forget the tuxedo and bring it the next day. But you don't come back. Now, let's have no arguments, Tony. I never forget. Uh, uh, holy smoke. I remember now. I did come back, but you were closed, so I brought it to another cleaner. Come on, on Jimmy. Oh, well, I'm, I'm sorry, Tony. That's okay. When you in my business, you meet all kinds of rough riffraff. Uh, <laughs> certainly a relief. For a minute, I thought that watch was really lost. Oh, come on, Pop. Let's go to the other cleaners and get it. Yeah, let's... Uh, 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 I don't remember what cleaner I brought it to. What a memory you got, Pop. Listen, there's nothing wrong with my memory. I'll find that cleaner because I distinctly remember the sign outside his store. Oh, what did the sign say? Well, now, let me think a minute, eh? Gotta remember. Wait, I, I got it. The sign said, cleaning and pressing. Well, the valuable gold watch which Peg gave Riley on their wedding day and which he faithfully wears each anniversary is still missing. Unless Riley can find it, he's going to have some tall explaining to do to his wife. As we rejoin him now, we find him sitting despondently on his back steps as his neighbor, little Waldo Benny, approaches. Oh, hello, Waldo. How are you? Oh, my aching back. <laughs> well, what's, what's wrong, Waldo? Same old story. I was helping my wife make a salad. Mm -hmm. She said, it needs more oil. I said, more vinegar. She said, shut up. And then I saw red. <laughs> You did, huh? Yeah, she hit me in the eye with a tomato. <laughs> Say, uh, uh, there's still no sign of your watch, Mr. Riley? No, I called up every cleaner in the neighborhood. None of them's got my tuxedo, and there ain't much time. Pretty soon I'll have to tell Peg it's our anniversary. She, she, she's forgot it, you know. Well, then why tell her? Oh, I can't let our anniversary go by without celebrating. I just couldn't do it. Well, I've been thinking of a way out, and I think I've got it. Look at this. I've got it in my pocket here. My gold watch. Where did you find it? No, no. It's not your watch. Open it. Why, it's a... It's a lady's compact. Yes. It's my wife's. See the inscription? To my own sweet darling. Her first husband gave it to her. <laughs> I guess he didn't know her very well. But what good is this compact to me? Well, don't you see? You thought it was your watch. I'll lend it to you for tonight, and Mrs. Riley will think it's the watch. 
So you see, Junior, instead of a watch, I'll flash the lady's compact. It's gold. It belongs to my pal, Waldo Vinny's wife. And Mom won't know the difference? No, I'll have my wristwatch on, too, in case she asks me the time. Oh, great stunt, ain't it? <laughs> Pop, isn't that the same thing as lying? Well, for single men, it would be lying. For married men, it's strategy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, show me the compact, Pop. It's right here in my vest. Uh, hey, where's my vest? I left it on this chair a minute ago. Now... My vest! My vest! Give it to me. Well, don't get so excited. I was only sewing a button on it. Here it is. Yeah, thanks. Give it to me. Give it. But you don't have to grab. Right. Oh. Uh, oh, something fell out of your pocket. Oh, oh, no, no. Nothing fell. It's just a house settling. <laughs> don't be silly. I just saw you pick it up. I... Oh, come on, open your hands. Go on. Oh, well, what do you know? How did that get there? What? Well, it's a lady's compact. Uh... What are you doing with a ladies' compact? Uh, uh, you, you, you got the wrong idea, Peggy. It, it ain't a ladies' compact. It's a, 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 it's a man's after shaving kit, isn't it, Junior? <laughs> oh, I couldn't say, Pop. I don't shave. Uh, after shaving kit, huh? Since when do men use rouge after shaving? Well, it's just a fad. Don't worry, it won't last. <laughs> right. Where did you get this compact? Well, it, it, it ain't a compact. Like I said, it's a shaving kit. It was given to, given to me by, by, by my foreman. That's it, by my foreman. I, <sighs> he must be crazy about you. Look at the inscription. To my own sweet darling. He, he likes the way I rivet. <laughs> oh, well, I... Guess I might as well confess, don't I? No, not to me. You can confess to my lawyer. No, 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 Peg. It ain't what you think. Are you going to tell me what woman this compact belongs to? Uh, well, uh, uh, it, it belongs to you, Duncan. That, that, that's it. I bought it as a token of my stain for you, a little pimento. I, I was just going to surprise you. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, dear. Oh, that was so sweet of you. <laughs> I knew it must be for me all the time. That's right, Duncan. Always trust me. You know how I am with you, straight and forward. <laughs> of course. Well, I'm going to put this away in my bureau. Yeah. I'll only use it on special occasions. Yeah. Uh, Something seems to have gone wrong with your strategy, Pop. What a revolting development this is. <laughs> Pop? How can I relax? Soon I'll have to tell your mother it's our anniversary, and when she asks where the watch is, what'll I say? She'll be heartbroken. I'm gonna lie down here and try to remember. Oh, see who that is, Junior. Okay, Pop. Oh, it's Mr. Odell, the undertaker. Oh, come in, come in. Greetings, Riley. Hiya, Digger. How's my favorite undertaker, eh? Don't bother getting up, Riley. Just lie there. <laughs> You look fine. Very natural. Well, I don't feel so good, Diggy. You see, it's my wedding anniversary. Ah, anniversaries. Faded orange blossoms pressed in the book of memory. I adore anniversaries. They're so gay. <laughs> well, it, 
ain't going to be for me. Are you troubled, Riley? Yeah, but I, I don't think you can help me. No, Jimmy. no. Digby O'Dell helps everyone. You can always come to me, and I'll be glad to straighten you out. <laughs> You see, Peg once gave me a very fancy old-fashioned gold watch. I always wear it on our anniversary, and, well, now I lost it. Say, maybe you got one you can lend me, huh? Sorry, Riley. I had a watch, but I stepped on it. When I picked it up, the face was undamaged, but the hands were folded. <laughs> oh, Let me think. Who do I know who has a big gold watch? I should be able to dig up someone. <laughs> no, no, don't do that. I ain't that desperate. No, I, I never thought I'd have such headaches over an old watch. Oh, Riley, I just oh. heard an enchanting joke about a watch. Yeah? This will kill you. Uh-huh. <laughs> Kelly, be gotta, me watch is stopped. Murphy, be gotta, then open the case and examine the works. So Kelly Pride opened the case, and a bug fell out of the watch. So Murphy said, be jabbers. No wonder it stopped. The engineer is dead. (laughs) Isn't that a scream? Yeah, sure is. Well, I must be off. Oh, yes, I almost forgot what I came for. This box is for you. It contains your tuxedo. My tuxedo? Where did you get it? How did you find it, Dick? You loaned it to me two weeks ago. Oh. Oh, yeah, now I remember. Gee, Digger, you're a lifesaver. Not exactly. <laughs> but I try to do my best. Well, wait a minute. The watch, it, it ain't in any of the pockets. There was no watch in your tuxedo. There was... Oh, this is terrible. I wish I could help you. No, Digger, this is my funeral. Oops, that reminds me, I have an appointment. (laughs) Hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work I go. Well, Junior, how do I look at my tux, huh? Okay, Papa, what are you going to tell Mom about the watch? Well, I figure like this. She forgot about the anniversary. I got a right to forget about the watch. We're even, so she can't boil me up. It wouldn't be croquette. (coughs) What's your mother doing now? Oh, she's setting the table for supper. Oh, boy, where did you see her eyes pop when she sees me? Oh, oh, Dumplin'. What do you want, dear? Come here a minute, sweetheart. Who did this? I got a little surprise for you. Hurry. Why it is, but whenever I start getting things ready for supper, you... Well, for heaven's sake, what are you all dressed up for? Ha, <laughs> ha. What am I all dressed up for, she says. Oh. Uh-huh. Well, where are you going, Daddy? Where do I think I'm going, she says. Ha, <laughs> ha. Well, Peg, first you and me are going to dinner at Luigi's Spaghetti Heaven and meet Boy Mardi Gras. <laughs> where I have reserved a table for two. Uh, right. And then we're going to the Biltmore Theater to see a play. With live actors. Here's the tickets. 3.30 apiece. Row A. You couldn't sit any closer unless you joined the musicians' union. <laughs> Riley. Uh... And then to top off the evening, we're going to the lizard room of the conga club, where we'll lounge around with all the other lounge lizards. <laughs> and that, Mrs. Riley, is my idea of how a husband and wife should celebrate their 17th wedding anniversary. Oh... 
Look, Junior, she's speechless. She's so surprised she don't know what to say. Oh, so you forgot our anniversary. How could you forget an important day like this? And you always say I'm the one who never remembers. Well, Dumplin', what do you got to say for yourself, huh? Uh, only one thing, dear. Our anniversary's tomorrow night. That's no excuse. <laughs> uh, tomorrow night? But that's impossible. Our anniversary is January 15th. Oh, but, Daddy, today is only the 14th. Uh, 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 oh, that cheap calendar. Oh. <laughs> uh, Oh, well, I, I knew it all the time. I just got dressed up for a dress rehearsal. That's it, a, a dress rehearsal, just to make sure I'm all set for tomorrow night. And are you all set? Yes, sir, from head to foot. I got everything. Studs, cufflinks, collar button, and... And my father's wife. And your father... Oh. Right. You have my father's watch. Uh, uh, I... Speaking of watches reminds me of a swell joke Digger O'Dell told me. Pat and Mike work on a railroad, see? So this Casey had a train, see? But it wouldn't run. So they opened it up, and they found an engineer in the works. So Callahan says, be jabbers, no wonder it won't run. The bug is dead. <laughs> uh, I don't get it. Right. Lost my father's watch. How could no, you? No, no, Dumplin', I didn't lose it. I, I just mislaid it. But, but I'll have it tomorrow night. I... See that you do. Yes, I'll... Well, yeah. <laughs> as long as you're all dressed up, I might as well give you your anniversary present now. <laughs> Here you are. Well, gee. Gee, thanks, Dumplin'. That's... Holy smokes, it's your father's watch. I found it. I mean, I mean, I, I knew I couldn't have lost it. I, I remember now. I, I gave it to you for safekeeping. Why, well, you did of not. Course, I found it hanging in the shower yeah. bath the day after our last anniversary. Oh. <laughs> I decided to hold on to it and just teach you a lesson. Well, as long as I got it back, I'm happy. It's the best present you could have given me. Wait, I'll wind it up. Yeah. See how I can... It's... Uh, uh. <laughs> well, I, I really have a present for you. Open the back of the watch. Present in the back of the watch? Mm -hmm. We're dumpling. It's our wedding picture, a small miniature. Oh, that's the best present you could ever have given me. Look at there. Look, in the same tuxedo I'm wearing now. Look. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Didn't bet you then either. No. <laughs> oh, look. Look, there's the lump on my head where I got hit with the shoe, remember? Oh, <laughs> oh I look at you, Duncan. You're so pretty. And you haven't changed a bit. Oh, go on. Haven't. <laughs> oh, now look at the other side of the watch. There's another picture there. Obvious? Uh, oh, yeah. Who are they? Well, it's Babs and Junior when they were tiny babies. Oh. Oh, they've changed, Ah, oh, Dumplin', we've come a long way since the day we got married. Oh, we certainly have. Yeah. <laughs> I have to laugh whenever I think how I had to give you the two dollars to pay for the license. Now, 
Now, wait a minute, Dumplin'. I, I resent that. Now, you did not give me $2 for the wedding license. It was only a loan. And, and someday I'll pay you back. Go home. Oh, what for? We're out for a good time. After all, it's our anniversary tonight. And there's no mistake about it this time. Come on, have another drink. Come on. Oh, no, oh, no. come on. I've had enough root beer for the next year. <laughs> <laughs> but it really uh, is getting late. What time is it? The time when it's at, uh... Oh, huh? Holy smoke, your father's watch. I left it home. <laughs> The Life of Riley, starring William Bendix as Riley, and presented by the American Meat Institute next week at the same time. Riley makes an innocent phone call and winds up in the clutches of the law. It promises plenty of fun. William Bendix appears on The Life of Riley by arrangement with Hal Roach. The program is directed by Don Bernard with music by Lou Kozloff and came to you from Hollywood. This is Ken Niles saying, see you next week. From January 21st, 1945... Not too many of us were around back then, right? I wasn't. But that was the life of Riley, and I certainly remember the life of Riley from television. He used to come on Friday night on television with different casts. They had William Bendix, of course. It is time for Gunsmoke, everybody. And tonight we are going to play an episode we have never played before on Boomer Boulevard. Now, one of the reasons why, I believe, is because this, uh, many of the episodes of Gunsmoke that, that I received over the years, I, I either bought them from Jerry Hendigus or got them from other sources, were um, recorded off the original transcription discs, and that's why the the sound quality is so outstanding on so many of these episodes. Now, this episode we have tonight, I believe, was probably uh, recorded either off the radio or through the uh, 
well, I, I don't know, but it's not as good. It's not as pristine a recording, but it's easily uh, understood. and I mean, very easily understood. And there's no scratchiness or anything like that. So that's probably why I have avoided playing it, which is kind of sad because I think this is a very good episode. Great story. And it, <laughs> as we start listening to it, unfortunately, any of you that listen that are lawyers, uh, you probably are the butt of a lot of lawyer jokes I know and I have we have lawyers in the family and I, I know sometimes I don't want to say thin skin but uh, you've got to resent the you know the casting all lawyers in in, in the same light well I, I guess my point is in bringing this up is I, it, it seems like in the old west there was uh, sometimes the same same problems oh enough said just listen to it. The name of this one is Print Asper. And this was originally broadcast on the 23rd of May in 1953 on CBS. So here it comes, Gunsmoke and Print Asper. City and in the territory on West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gun smoke, starring William Conrad of the violence that moved west with young America. The story of a man who moved with it, Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Dodge, Pa. Yes, just as well you stay out of Dodge, Will. Man's a whole lot better off on a ranch than in a town. He's a whole lot lonelier, too. Then get married. Place needs a woman anyway. I got my eye on a Sutter girl, Pa. But she won't be old enough for another two, three years. You'll settle down, Will. It's your brother Print worries me. He ain't as steady as you. Prince headstrong, that's all. Now, you go get the wagon and load it up at the store. Our stuff's all ready. I got a little business here in the lawyer's office, and I'll join you. Okay, Pa. But keep your eyes open with that rab. I hear he's a sharper. I can handle him. You go along now. Sure, Pa. boys, Rab, after supplies. <laughs> Not often you get to dodge. No, it isn't. It's a good thing I came in this time. Why is that? Well, last night I ran into the clerk from the land office. 
We got to talking about this and that and one thing and another. Eh? And then he happened to mention that paper you fixed for me here, the one I signed a few weeks back. Oh, the transfer of title, you mean? The one that said my boys own the ranch now, that Mm. they don't have to wait till I die. What about it? You wrote it out legal, and I signed it. That's right, Aspern. And you said I'd have to wait a while before I could give it to the boys. I did. Well, now, Rab, the clerk told me I didn't have to wait any time at all. The clerk is wrong, Asper. I'm a lawyer. I know the law. Maybe so, Rab. But anyways, the clerk can read. And he told me that paper I signed says that my boys don't own the ranch at all. It says you do. All right, the deed is in my name, Asper, but I don't aim to do anything about it for the moment, so uh, don't you get all upset. Uh, You cheated me, didn't you? Uh, I should have known better than to trust you, Rab. Everything's perfectly legal, Asper. Sure. Only you own my ranch. Well, I told you you can go on living there for a while. What if I, uh, went to court about it, Rab? Oh, it'd take forever, and it'd cost you a lot of money, and you couldn't win anyway. Hmm. That's just about what I figured. So you might as well just forget about it, Asper. I wanted the boys to own that ranch right now so as they'd take a bigger interest working it. Uh, it seems their old pa went and fuddled everything. <laughs> you got outsmarted, that's all. Yeah, I sure did. Well, Rab, I uh, brought this here gun along. And I'm going to kill you with it. What? Huh. Put that gun away, Asper. You can't do that. Last man I killed was in the spring of 69. Made up my mind then I wouldn't be killing any more men. Sure hate to do it, but I got him. Now, look here, Asper. There just ain't any other way, Rab. Like you say, it's all legal, and there's nothing I can do about it. So, I've got to kill you and get it over with. You're crazy. You'll hang for this. Sure I will. But I'm old, and it won't matter much. And I just might learn you a lesson. No, Asper, I'll give you a few seconds to pray, Rab, but that's all. No, wait, 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 Asper. Listen to me. You can have the deed back. I'll fix it up right now. I don't want your ranch. That wouldn't be much use, Rab. You just go tell Marshal Dillon I forced you to sign it back, and then they wouldn't re-record it. No, I won't. I I swear I won't. Then I just have to find you and shoot you all the same. It's just easier I do it now. No, 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 no. Here. Here's the deed. I'll fix it right now, and you can go file it yourself. You see, look, I'll I'll do it now. You know I can't read. Then we'll take it over together and record it. Oh, no, the clerk can read it for you. Uh, Well, all right, Rab. Go ahead, fix it. There. Uh, Are you satisfied? As soon as we get it recorded, maybe I will be. Uh, Come on, then. We'll do it right now. You're a pretty smart lawyer, Rab. I think this is about the last job I'll ask you to do for me. And if you didn't do this right, I'll kill you sure. Now, let's go find out. Where have you been all week, Matt? We've missed you around here. Yeah, Dodge's been peaceful enough, Kitty. According to Chester, anyway. Well, at least nobody's been shot I know of. They've come close to it a time or two, though. Well, arguing doesn't fill any graves. 
Yeah, maybe someday men will learn that. I doubt it. Huh? <laughs> you don't think very high of men, do you? Not very. After what I've seen of them. Well, maybe the trouble is you've never seen them when they were working. They aren't so bad, then. That's what they're always telling me. Matt, I'd like to go to St. Louis or somewhere for a while. I need a change. Oh? Huh? Why don't you go? Oh, I don't know. Wouldn't really be any good. Alone. Mr. Dillon? Oh, yeah, Chester. Oh, hello, Miss Kitty. How are you, Chester? Say, I just come from Doc's, Mr. Dillon. You better get over there right away. Rab's been shot. What? Rab, the lawyer? Yes, sir, right in his office. Doc isn't sure how long he'll be conscious. Well, who shot him? I don't know, sir. Some men heard the shot, and they found him there all alone. Whoever it was had got out the back way. <laughs> I'll see you later, Kitty. Sure, ma'am. Come on, Chester. Can he talk, Chester? Yes, sir. But Doc told him not to waste his strength none until you got there. Ah, good. I can right away, Mr. Dillon. Yeah, sure, sure. Now, Doc. Doc, how is he? He's alive, Matt. And still conscious. I've done what I can for him. Marshal's here, Rab. You yeah. feel like talking now? Yeah. Hello, Marshal. Hello, Rab. Uh, who shot you? Asper. Oh, John Asper shot me. John Asper? Yeah. What? Did you have a fight with him? He shot me in the back, Marshal. I never even... Well, how do you know who it was if you didn't see him? I, I, I was sitting in my office and he shot me through the window in the back. But how do you know it was Asper? A couple of days ago, he threatened to shoot me. That's why. Oh? He said he'd kill me. Well, why did he threaten you? Well, it was about his ranch, Marshal. I made a... Little, little mistake. Got the title transfer mixed up. But I fixed that. You can ask the clerk at the land office. Everything was made okay. Asper was right there with me. When was all this? Four days ago, Marshal. The man's crazy. That's why he shot me. He's plumb crazy. <laughs> No, 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 that's enough. That's enough now, Rab. You, you better not talk anymore now. Doc, what do you think? How does he look? Uh, he might pull through, Matt, but he cannot get excited. Yeah, okay. We'll go. Uh, let me know how he is, will you? Oh, sure, Matt. Sure. I'd like to talk to him again when he's able. His story doesn't make much sense so far. Huh? He was just closing up the land office. Now for a clerk, he works pretty late. Yes, sir. What'd he say? Well, sir, 
He said the same thing Rab did, only it wasn't no mistake. What? Rab didn't make any mistake. Somehow he got old Asper to sign the deed to his ranch over to him, all clear and legal. Then four days ago, they came in again and signed it back to Asper. The clerk thinks Rab fooled the old man somehow on the first one. He can't read, you know. Then maybe Asper did threaten him after all. Yes, but if everything was made okay, why would Asper shoot him? I don't know. Maybe we better ask him. We gonna ride out there tonight, Mr. Dillon? No, no. I know John Asper. He's not gonna run. Anyway, I'd like to talk to Rab again first. Yes, sir. How are the eggs this morning, Chester? They've gone up, both in price and age. How's Rab, Mr. Dillon? Yeah, he's still alive. Couldn't talk very long, though. Did you find out anything? Oh, same story. Oh, say, I nearly forgot. Old man Asper was in here a few minutes ago. Huh? Well, where is he now? He said he'd be right back. I told him you'd like to see him. Yeah, yeah, I would. Thanks, Chester. Well, that's all right, sir. Oh, I ordered some eggs for you, too. Oh, good. Uh, and coffee. Uh, here's Asper now. Mm. Uh, morning, Marshal. Hello, Asper. You, uh... Wanted to see me? Yeah, yeah, I did. Won't you sit down? All right. But I can't stay long. I just rode in from cold water, and I want to get on out the ranch before noon. Oh? Then you weren't in Dodge last night? No, I'd had to ride mighty fast to be in Dodge last night, Marshal. Seems as how I didn't leave cold water till after supper. Maybe I should have waited till morning, but I figured it'd be easier on my horse to travel at night in this hot weather. Yeah, yeah. Um, who did you see in Coldwater, Asper? Shanghai Pierce himself. Made a deal with him for some cows, too. When he comes up with his next herd. Won't be for two, three months, though. I see. Uh, Asper, tell me something. Did you threaten to shoot that lawyer, Rab? How'd you know about that, Marshal? What, did you? Yes, I did. Why? Well, somebody shot him last night. They kill him? Oh, he's still alive. You got any idea who might have done it? Yeah, I might have. But you didn't? No, but I would have. He's a crook, Marshal. I thought I was signing the ranch over to my boys. And he put his name in instead. He changed his mind about it, though, once I got him treed. Do, uh, do your boys know about this? Nary a word. No, now they didn't do it, Marshal. Isn't, uh, your younger son, Prent, uh, isn't he the wild one? Well, Prince of Mike Wild, you could say. His mother didn't live long enough to have a hand raising him, that's why. But he didn't know about Rab, Marshal. He knew nothing at all. Might have found out somehow. Well, I sure don't know how. I never told him. And he ain't even been to town since this started. Neither of the boys been here? Will, he come in with me the other day, but he didn't talk to Rab. Yeah, I see. Now, look, Marshal, I don't want any suspicions about them boys. Now, you just ride out with me and we'll clear this up once and for all. I told Rab I'd kill him, and I would have. And then I'd come down and told you all about it, and you could have got me hung. I expected that. But the boys weren't in on it. And I don't want anybody thinking they were. 
Now you come talk to him. All right, Esper. All right. I'll ride out with you. Sure you will. And I'll tell you about Rab. If he pulls through this time, somebody will just shoot him again. That man's no good at all, Marshal. You've done a lot of work on this place since I was here, Asper. It's coming, Marshal. It's coming. I don't blame you for not wanting to be cheated out of it. Well, life's always uncertain. Full of boils, Marshal. Never did have it easy on this ranch. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. Well, I don't see the boys around. Maybe they're in the house. Come on, we'll have a look. All right. got company. Hello, Will. Marshal. Where's Print? I want both of you here. He'll be around later, maybe. Well, go get him, Will. I got some coffee on the stove. Would you sit down for a cup, Marshal? Will. Yes, Pa. You know where Print is? No. When did you see him last? Yesterday. Morning. All right, we'll find him later. Will. Rab got shot last night, and the marshal here is looking for the man who shot him. Did you do it? No, I didn't shoot him. You're telling the truth. I ain't been off the ranch. That's the truth. Satisfied, Marshal? Yeah, I'm satisfied. Now, what about Print? Think Print might have done it, Will? Ask him. You know more than you're telling me, don't you? Yeah, well, I'll be. Now, what do you know about me and Rab? Tell me now, Will. I know what I heard. I was curious, so I went around back and listened at the window while you and Rab was talking. I heard you say you went and fuddled everything, and then I left. I told Print about it, too. And why didn't you listen some more since you were snooping around? I was going to shoot him all right, but he fixed everything up. This is your ranch now, yours and Print's. You understand? That's so. But now it looks like Print got hot-headed and rode to town. Doesn't it, Marshal? That could be. Anyway, I think we better find him. I'll find him. No son of mine's going to go around shooting people. You just said you were going to shoot that lawyer yourself, Pa. Sure I was. It wouldn't have been the first time I've killed, but that's different. You boys wasn't raised that way, and you ain't going to start now, do you? Now, wait a minute, Asper. Wait a minute. We don't know that Print did it. I know dang well he did now. But if he shows up, I'd like to talk to him. But I'm not going to go on a hunt for him unless... Well, unless Rab dies. Uh, you, you can find me in Dodge. I'll bring him in if he comes back, Marshal. All right. All right. Well, so long, Will. Bye, Marshal. <laughs> Chester, Doc. 
You're about a half hour late, Mac. Yes, I was just going to ride out after you, Mr. Dillon. Huh. Why? What's happened? Rab got shot all over again. What? He's dead for sure now. Yeah, right in Doc's office, Mr. Dillon. We were sitting down here, me and Doc, when we heard it. But by the time we got upstairs, he'd gone. Whoever done it, and Rab was dead. Shot him right on the couch and jumped out Doc's back window. Nobody saw him that I could find. Yeah. Well, he sure was determined, wasn't he? Uh, Chester, go see if you can find out if Prent Asper's been in Dodge in the last couple of days. Old Asper's youngman? Well, he's 18, Doc. Oh. Well, yes, yes, you're right. Oh, yeah, he's old now. Get going, will you, Chester? Yes, sir. Uh, and Chester, I'll be at the Texas Trail, huh? All right, sir. Doc, you've known John Asper for a long time. Oh, ever since I've been in Dodge, man. Yeah, well, so have I. I just hope for his sake Prent didn't do this. Yes, Matt. Asper's a crusty old buzzard, but he's straight as a come. Yeah, sure is. Well, I'll see you later, Doc. Yeah, sure, Matt. You alone, Kitty? Sure. Sit down, Matt. Thank you. Yeah, the place looks kind of deserted tonight. Oh, thoroughly. Most of the boys haven't slept off last night yet. (laughs) Uh, Kitty, tell me something. Hmm? You know Prent Asper? He's been in a couple of times. When? Oh, not for a couple of months, Matt. Why? Uh, I'm looking for him, that's all. Is he in trouble? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Charlie at the stage office saw him this morning. He huh? was the first place it stopped. Was he sure? Yes, sir. He said Print walked right down the street, but wouldn't even say hello to him. Went right past him. All right, Chester. Matt, over there by the door. Isn't that old man Asper? Yeah, it sure is. Here he comes, Mr. Dillon. Doc told me I'd find you here, Marshal. Yeah. He's going to ride out to take care of Will. I want you to go after Print with me. Take care of Will? Well, what's happened? It was about a half hour after you left, Marshal. I was out at the barn, and then I heard Print and Will arguing, and I started for the house. But before I got there, Print pulled a gun on Will and shot him. Then he rode away again. I did what I could for Will, and then I come for the doc. Well, is Will hurt bad? I don't know, Marshal. But doc can fix him if anyone can. Let's go now. We'll get fresh horses at the ranch. Yeah, all right, all right. Uh, Just to go get our horses, huh? Yes, sir. I taught Print everything I know about the prairie, Marshal. It's going to be a long ride. Asper was right. It was, sure enough, a long ride. We cut Prince Trail just beyond the ranch and followed it west for two days. The old man tracked like an Indian. To determine how fresh the trail was, he'd spend a long time at certain places just looking at grass blades or scrutinizing the fine little marks made on bare ground by insects or calculating on the age of a doodlebug hole. He was slow, but as certain as death, and we never lost the trail once. On the fourth day, he announced that the tracks were just a few hours old, and we rode faster. About noon, we stopped behind a small hummock and walked forward to where we could see a cabin a hundred or so yards off. Surrounded by high brown prairie grass. He's in there, Marshal. Are you sure? Yes. 
He's decided to make his stand from there. It's a good spot. It sure is. He's got a clear field all the way around. Well, let's surround him and wait it out. Oh, no, that's too slow. And I'm in a hurry to get back to Will. He's still alive. I'll put a couple of shots in there. Maybe he's ready to give up. I doubt it. But go ahead. He'll never give up. Uh, all right. Let's spread out and rush him. Then. No, Marshal. That'll just mean more bloodshed. He'd get one of us sure. I got a better idea. Oh? We'll burn him out. What? Look at that grass. It's as dry as tinder. All we have to do is fire it and take him when he comes out. He'll come out shooting. I know. I'll be waiting. Look, Asper, uh, Chester and I will stay here and starve him out, huh? Oh, why don't you ride on back? No, and see I don't you... figure that way, Marshal. Thank you just the same. All right. Oh, the cabin's downwind. We can fire it from right here. Okay. Uh, you and I'll move out a little, Chester. And uh, let go any time. Yes, sir. Uh, look, Asper... Uh, I'll do the shooting, huh? I can knock him down without killing him. He'd only hang. We'll all shoot, Marshal. Okay. I bunched up a handful of brown grass and lit it. And the wind did the rest. And carried the flame springing higher and higher toward the cabin. It started down from Chester, too, and from where the old man lay. It was four or five feet high when it reached the cabin, which caught fire at once and was soon burning fast. No man could live in there for long. And after a minute or two, Prent ran out the door and came toward us past the flame. Throw down your gun, Prent. You're caught there. All right, Marshal. Chester. All right. Come on, Chester. Go watch him. He may not be dead. Is he dead, Marshal? Yeah. I'm sorry, Asper, but I was afraid he'd kill one of us if I didn't get him first. I saw your shot, Marshal. You hit him in the shoulder on purpose, I figure. I killed him. I had to. Now let's get him buried. I want to get back to Will. We buried Prent near the charred ruins of the cabin and then started the long ride back to the ranch. On the way, the old man never mentioned Prent, but talked endlessly of the prairie and his long life on it. He knew the land the way a preacher knows the Bible, and he accepted it and its ways with the same mixture of faith and fear. When we finally reached the ranch, Chester and I waited outside the house while the old man went in alone. After a moment, Doc appeared on the porch, smiling. And then the three of us rode back to Dodge.
Gunsmoke, under the direction of Norman MacDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Tonight's story was especially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston, with the music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Featured in the cast were Joseph Kearns, John Daner, and Sam Edwards. Harley Bear is Chester, Georgia Ellis is Kitty, and Howard McNear is Doc. Next Monday night, The Lure of the Wilderness will be your Lux Radio Theater feature attraction starring Gene Peters and Jeffrey Hunter in their original screen roles. And remember, too, radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense, is heard Monday evenings on the CBS Radio Network. was Gunsmoke from 1953, May the 23rd. The name of that one was Print Asper. And you could see that the sound quality wasn't up to the normal standards we, we maintain on this show, but you could certainly understand it. And it was not a good episode, a really good story. And it just goes to show you that what uh, things really don't change that much. Certainly human nature doesn't change. We see that every week on Gunsmoke. That's what made this such a great show. And it wasn't just a Western, a shoot 'em up Western, but it was a character study and uh, really a lot of human drama, a little, little comedy from time to time, too. But that's why we love Gunsmoke, and that's why we play an episode every week, and you'll hear another one next time we get together. It's certainly great to have been with you this week, and I hope that uh, you come back and join us again. This is Bob Bro. I am so glad you stopped by tonight, and I am so glad you met me. See you next time, everybody. Bye-bye.